1: Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me on the program. The number, of course, 303-873-1935. This is a program where we take your calls about, well, the things you care about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. And of course, I talk about history, but I also talk about prophecy, and we talk about what's happening in current events. And um, many of you are already aware all you have to do is just watch any news, and you know that in this Russian-Ukraine war, one million million people have fled Ukraine. Now, we started talking about this, well, seven days ago, and in the last seven days, one million people have left their home and ran away for their life. And um, so Russian forces have advanced deeper into the south. And again, Ukrainians continue to make a stubborn, defiant, effective resistance. And again, according to the United Nations, they're the ones who are reporting that a million people have become refugees who have left Ukraine And several news outlets are reporting that the International Criminal Court is beginning an investigation of possible war crimes. Now, again, like um, it's highly unlikely that the Russian uh, oligarch Vladimir Putin is going to submit himself to that International Criminal Court. The Biden administration has asked Congress for an additional $10 billion in emergency aid and um it's interesting to me again if you'd like to join me on the program it's three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five i i came across an article um, about famous Jews from ukraine, and um there's been a robust jewish uh, community, if you will, in Ukraine for a very, very long time since the Middle Ages and since well before the Middle Ages. And there's a very famous person in history named Baal Shem Tov. That might not be a name that's on everybody's lips today, but Baal Shem Tov was the founder of what's called the Hasidic movement or Hasidic Judaism. And if you go to Israel at this very to this very day there that um, i'm i'm trying to remember the actual percentage but i'm thinking about 4 to 10% of all jews um, in israel are what what you would call hasidic jews and baal shem tov was the founder of hasidism and he was born his birth name was Israel bin Eliezer in 1698 in copy Ukraine. And Bal Shem Tov literally means master of the good name. And of course, Golda Meir, was, who was elected prime minister of Israel in 1969. She was born in Kiev, Ukraine's capital, in 1898. But what you may not know is that she would eventually make her way to the United States of America, where her family would spend at least some time in Denver, Colorado, and then make their way up to uh, Minnesota. She uh, was the fourth woman in the world to to serve as a head of state. Other Israeli leaders who were born in the Ukraine include Israel's second prime minister, Moshe Sharet, as well as his successor, Leviash Kol. And, um, there's another very famous person that you're probably aware of, Myla Kunis. She was, uh, born in Ukraine and she married Ashton Kutcher. She's probably most famous for her, um, you know, she was a star on that 70s show. And, um, Another very famous Jewish person named Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and he's known to many as the Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, was the last Rebbe of what was called the Chabad Lubavitch movement, and is considered by many people to be the most influential 20th century Jewish leader. And Schneerson famously led what's called the Chabad movement from Brooklyn headquarters, uh, but he was actually born... In the Ukraine. And Oksana Baul, she was a figure skater. She was born in the Ukraine. And Natan Sharansky, maybe one of the most famous refuseniks who advocated for Soviet Jewry, for their right to return to Israel in the 70s and the 80s. And between the years 77 and 1986, uh, Natan Sharansky was imprisoned for his activism. And after being released, he immigrated to Israel. He entered the world of politics. And uh, Vladimir Horowitz, he's perhaps one of the greatest pianists of all time. He was born in Kiev. And the the list could go on and on and on. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the air I've got open line, so again if you'd like to to join me i in the in the first hour, I was talking a little bit about um, an interesting article that was written by uh Brianna rosen Brianna rosen's a senior fellow at the just security and she uh, previously served as the policy engagement manager at the Oxford Institute for Ethics, Law and Armed Conflict. And prior to that, she served for a decade in the United States government, including at the White House National Security Council and the office of the vice president. She did an analysis of of uh, a sort of an interesting little simulation of a president's daily brief on Putin and the Ukraine and I think what it does is it will give you a sort of insight into how intelligence analysts make decisions, gather information, and then report on it. Now, again, I just want to warn you that's this isn't from a conservative source. This is from a liberal source, 303-873-1935, that's... The number, if you want to join me on the air. And um, earlier, I talked a little bit about (laughs) a school, a university that's ordered a Christian student not to talk to other students because of her biblical worldview. And um, another Ukrainian bishop is calling Putin the Antichrist of our time. Now a Ukrainian bishop has argued that Russian President Vladimir Putin on CB on Sunday's BBC's Global News Podcast. It featured an interview between religion and ethics producer Harry Farley and Ukrainian bishop Yevstraty Zoria. And Zoria is a is a spokesperson for the Orthodox Church of Ukraine. And during the interview, the men discussed Putin's belief that Russia and Ukraine have a shared spiritual space. And what he's referring to is the arrival of the Eastern Orthodox Church to the region in the ninth century. And so from that sense, he does believe that they share a shared spiritual space. Now, you would think because of that, that Putin would maybe be a little less Draconian, as men, women, and children continue to die every minute, if you will, throughout this conflict. But I'll talk more about that. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Happy, happy to take your calls. 303 303- eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Let's see who's up. John is back. John, welcome back.
2: Hi. Um the lines were open, so uh, well, yes. I had very curious uh what all you know. I know you've studied very uh diligently and all this. So Hebrews uh, about eleven thirty two. The topic would be the promises of God. Uh-huh
1: well, in in Hebrews eleven thirty two, it you know it's that hall of faith. I don't know if this is, yeah, they obtained promises. It says in verse thirty three. And what shall I say for the time would fail me to t- talk of Gideon and and Barak or Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. So if you're asking the question, what were the promises that they obtained? I think that the way that I would answer that um, is that God had made promises throughout the revelation that's given in the Old Testament, Old Testament, and, uh, and they were able to secure those
2: promises. And so, well, they, they got the promises, okay? I see that. I'm talking about, well, all of us little people out here. We're nobody.
1: But you're still recipients of the promises of God. And let me tell you what I mean by that. In, in, in the book of Genesis, we discover that human beings are sinners. And then God makes a promise that he's going to make a provision for sin. In the person of Jesus. In other words, so then God gives a promise. The Bible says Noah fi- finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. God's going to preserve humanity. God's going to un- send prophets to-, to instruct. And then he is going to eventually send Jesus, who's going to live and die and come back to life. And so you become a recipient of the divine
2: promise. Okay, um, just for a second here. Okay, we're we're looking at the Bible, and we see these people, right? They had faith in God, faith, and these certain people. Well, they received to benefit from it. Okay, sure. And we're thinking that we're like them somehow. You know what I mean? Well, in a we're, way, we we're are expecting like them. The same result. Well and and i i don't think that that's
1: unreasonable it, because again god promised to abraham and his descendants the whole world he promised that that his descendants would be a blessing they are god promised israel to be their god and make them their people god promised that if we search for him we will find him in deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 god promised that his love would never fail. God promised Israel that their sin could be forgiven, their prosperity could be restored. And if you now fast forward to the New Testament, God promises salvation to everyone who believes in his son. He promises that everything is in fact going to work out for good for his children in Romans 8:28. I know it sounds cliche.
2: I'm talking about the the great benefits like you, you got great wealth, you found your soulmate, you know, your wife, all that sort of thing, like the life here on the planet. No, well not yeah, yeah, and
1: I yeah, I institute. I'm not trying to be dismissive of that. In other words, if you're asking, well does that mean that everything is going to be peaches and cream in this right. life? The 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 right answer is well, you got to keep reading in 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 Hebrews chapter 11 because that's not what it says. If you keep going, it says women received their dead, raised back to life. Others were tortured. That doesn't sound very good. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings, scourgings, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, um, being destitute, afflicted, torment of whom, look what it says, The world wasn't worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, listen carefully, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, was that the end of the line? Is this the final words? The answer is no. And so the writer of Hebrews is arguing, how do you explain suffering? How do you explain persecution?
2: How do you explain? This is my point, the opposite end of the extreme. Prosperity right. preachers. So, yeah, the the Bible doesn't ignore that. I mean, what I'm saying is the promises are there and there is this expectation. An
1: that expectation. Right. Well, again, if the expectation is well, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no um you know, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. That's not what and the Bible... T-
2: I don't mean to interrupt you, but... Um, you Yeah, know, the expectation that things would go well, and then you expected something, and that doesn't happen, and now, remember the warning verses saying, you're going to grow impatient, you're going to start drinking, and you're going to start giving in to the world, that part.
1: Yeah, obviously the Bible doesn't say, "Oh, by the way, you're going to start drinking and you're going to give into the world." The Bible says exactly the opposite. It says expect suffering, in John chapter fifteen. It says expect suffering in John sixteen two, Hebrews twelve nine. The list goes on and on. What, what the what the Bible says, you know, you talk about expectations, you know. So, it, is it possible? that those who live godly in Christ Jesus should have an expectation of no suffering. The answer is that's not what the Bible says.
2: Okay. I was wrong then. Yeah.
1: But that's what I thought. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually says don't don't try to understand all of your suffering in the in this sense. I'm not saying being dismissive. Romans eight twenty eight. God's causing all things to work together for good for those who love him. Well, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't either. Um, the Bible says, pray while you're suffering. It says, don't despise your suffering. Don't faint while you're suffering. Thank God for your suffering. And you just go, how is that even possible? Now, I've come up with a little list, okay, of 25 reasons why Christians suffer. But each item on the list isn't necessarily true. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Is it possible that something's happening and I have no idea why it's happening? I think that that's the right answer. I think it's inappropriate for me to pretend to know something that I don't know, but I do know that according to what the Bible says that, that, there's lots of reasons why people suffer, and we don't always understand it, whether it's to produce patience or joy or maturity or righteousness, whether it's to teach us or the, the purify whole us. The
2: patience part. Pardon me? I'm telling you, I've read the Bible like 15 times, and I missed the whole patience part of it.
1: Well, in Romans 5.3, I've read it, you know, I've devoted my life to it. James 1.3. Hebrews 1036. That sometimes suffering produces the fruit of patience. But hey, thanks for your call. I gotta go. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Gerasi, so glad you could join me on the program. Happy to take your call, 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. We have another John. John, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Gino. How you hey. doing today, sir? Doing good. Very good. Um, just listening to the program, the last caller kind of, the Lord put something on my heart to give you guys a call. Um, in relationship to what it kind of felt like he was asking, about suffering, and without any kind of pride about saying this. um, Yeah, I mean, as as Christians and as followers of Christ, we were more susceptible to going through much worse than what your your average person would. The last four years of my life has played out almost very similar to the book of Job. Um, Some of the stuff, just I couldn't even... I wouldn't even want to bring up to other people, and I, I really felt God put it on my heart to give you guys a call. And I'm really hoping the last caller uh, still is listening. But no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm a devoted Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and if I gave some examples from my life, it's it's like a Dateline NBC type of. It's really very, very difficult. But when we trust in the Father to deal with this world, there's a reason I'm still here. There's a reason I haven't given in to the world. And, you know, problems happen. If you know the book of Job, and I know you do, sir, but uh, if I you know do. the book of Job.
1: I, I spent a long time it, teaching the book of Job.
3: It is a very difficult book. The first time you know, first time you read it and like wow that that guy Job, he had it rough. When you when you live it out, it's it's enough to make you question a few things, but the one thing in suffering such as an higher level overview. Um I had my wife cheat on me, leave me, gave her a second chance after that. But my parents got sick, one of them died. I was taking care of them because of taking care of my mother. She decided that she just couldn't put up with it. I've lost, you know, a six-figure job. The only thing I could get was about 75% less. I have supernatural hate come against me because I stand very firm in Christ. And I, I, I try to be a very nice person, and I'm saying this humbly. Um, I try to help out everybody I can. I try to be as nice as possible to folks. And there are supernatural things that come against me to the point where it draws me back to the father to say, Lord, I have no idea why my boss said I did this when I never had a part of this and removed me from a six-figure job. I have no idea why when I've never been abusive or Or violent or any any kind of meanness to my wife why she decided to have an affair i have no idea why where i have literally no desire to take any any medical field and this is one of the biggest reasons i believe there is a god is i could not be in the medical field but for the last five plus years i've medically had to take care of my parents one of which died under my care not my fault but i mean. Died while I was taking care of him. I have no interest in medical stuff. It freaks me out. I still cringe when I see needles. But what you were saying, and I did miss your checklist. Life is life is life is very rough. I don't want to sound presumptuous, but since I came to know Christ, I can honestly say I've had supernatural things come against me, but. And it's been very hard to realize that we've already won the war. I still have to deal with the battles, though. But the confidence that I get from Christ, the confidence I have in God, to know what he's he, that he's in control. He's still on the throne. That's the that's the stuff that gets us through this. There's nothing in this broken world that hey, if I believe in Christ, I'm going to get a gold sticker. That that's not how it's going to go. And specifically with the times that we live in, it's exponentially worse. I mean, it is where we're getting very borderline for being called out in a public format in America for being Christian. That's not going to improve, and the Bible talks about this. Um, All that being said, and I'm sorry to draw that out so long, uh, I really feel compelled, if you wouldn't mind, Pastor Gino. Can we
1: pray over that last caller, Sure, do you want
3: me to pray, or you yes, please,
1: Lord? We know that suffering doesn't have to be the end of the story, Lord, We know what this caller, John has said, the world is hurt, the world is broken, Lord, we know that there are bad things we live in a broken world, but you promise us hope, Lord, you again have given us assurance. That even in the most difficult of circumstances, that there is a promise that's been made and a promise that will be kept, that, Lord, you will see us through to that day of redemption. And, Lord, we take great comfort in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the promise that he made that that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we know Jesus said, I'm the resurrection, the life. He that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. Lord, we know that life's broken journey is going to bring us to that place where we give up our body. Lord, the Bible says that the outward person is perishing, but the inward person is being renewed day by day. Lord, we know that suffering exists. We know that you've given us a strategy on how to deal with it. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would remind us, you would remind us that um, that you love us, That uh, that we can thank you, that we can rejoice, that we, Lord, we're not suggesting even for a moment that we suffer needlessly or inappropriately. But, Lord, we pray, like Paul, that we would weigh our current suffering against the coming glory. And again, Father, we just commit all of that to you. We pray for this person who called. And again, Lord, we pray that, um, that the answer would come, at least, not for every explanation of suffering, but rather that is there hope after suffering. And is that the end of the story, Lord? We know that it doesn't have to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Amen and amen. And Gino, brother, thank you so much for your radio program. God bless you. I can't thank you enough.
1: Hey, you are welcome. And I hope that nugget, suffering doesn't have to be the end of the story.
3: Amen to that, sir. Have a great
1: evening. You too. 303-873-1935. How much time do I have, Jim? Do I have time? Carol, let's see if we could take your call. She's dropped. Well, Carol, maybe you could call back. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Yeah the Bible says that we're to expect suffering. The Bible says when we are in that season of suffering, the Bible instructs us and encourages us to commit ourselves to the Lord at the very beginning of our suffering and the middle of the suffering and the end of the suffering. And even though there's this strong desire to understand all the reasons, Lord, I get it. It's impossible to not ask the question, why? Why is this happening? And why is this happening to me? And why is it happening now? But Lord, as we see the things unfold all around the world, and we see the suffering of a million people leaving their homes and fleeing for their lives, Lord, there's this reminder That other people are suffering. We can see it all around us. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't despise our suffering or faint in our suffering. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'll be back, 303 873 1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining me. (laughs) And thanks for asking me Bible questions because, hey, I love Bible questions. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Um, Is it, who did you, Bob, welcome to the program. Hello, Bob. Hello. How can I help you?
4: Hey, uh, I just had a question about uh, literal seven days of creation, Uh 24 hours, as opposed to people saying, Hundreds and thousands of years, and millions of years, and how do you respond to that? What's what's the biblical answer to that?
1: Well, and I, I think that the biblical answer is we've got this this passage of scripture that um, basically describes the earth being made in six literal days. Um, In my opinion, the Hebrew word for day is Yom. And under normal circumstances, it means the amount of time that it takes for the earth to rotate on its axis. So in, in, so in order to have time, remember what is, what are the necessary ingredients for time to exist? You have to have matter. You have to have matter, energy and motion, Right. In other words, does time exist outside of matter, energy, and motion?
4: No, not at all.
1: It can't exist. So again, when the Bible seems to give us the straightforward passage, in Exodus chapter 29, verses 9 through 11, there's this incredible passage that just says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work. And and he gives the reason, because it was in six days that God created the universe. Now Do you
4: know what's that passage in Exodus? Exodus 29,
1: verses 9 through 11. Now, okay. th- there's yeah. also... Um, well,
4: I, I think morning to... You know, there was morning and evening the first day. I mean,
1: yeah, actually, it's evening and morning.
4: Yeah, evening and morning. It's crystal clear to me, but I run across people, and it's like you don't understand that. So anyway, um,
1: well, again, I I, I am willing to concede that under certain circumstances, yom, which is the normal word for day, when it's when it's accompanied by what's called an ordinal number it usually, it uh, not usually, in every circumstance, it means an ordinary day. So, okay. the word yom is used 2,301 times in the Old Testament. Outside okay. of Genesis chapter 1, yom plus a number is used 410 times, and it's always a normal day the amount of time that it takes for the planet to rotate on its axis. Now, again, if the planet rotated much slower or much faster, but under normal circumstances, it means a 24-hour period. There are okay. a few times where, where yom and a number doesn't mean a literal 24-hour day. But the words evening and morning together... Indicate an ordinary day, and so the Got exact okay. construction of evening then morning, along with yom, was always a normal day. So how, in how Daniel chapter eight, yeah, yom is is the Hebrew word, and how, how it, do you spell that? pardon it's y o m and it, for the anglicized okay. version. Okay, and so in the eighteen hundreds there was a paradigm shift in the scientific community and it was driven by this hostility towards revelation now again i i get i really do get that young earth ideas are based on assumptions And old earth ideas are based on assumptions. So what we have to ask and answer is on what basis would we come to the conclusion that all of the evidence of the Bible seems to indicate that God used normal time periods, if you want to use that term, normal. Could God have used six discrete 24-hour days to create everything? My view is, yeah, Could he have used less than six discrete 24-hour days? Of course he could. Could he use a long process of time? Of course he could. So why in the world would I believe that he didn't use long periods of time? Because that's what the Bible says. So imagine the scientific community saying, but that's not possible the evidence doesn't seem to indicate that we'll look at how we evaluate evidence right now in, in the world in which we live, do dead people come back to life? Do they ever come back to life?
4: Well, obviously uh, Christians do. Yeah.
1: Well, but in our, in, in, if you work in a morgue, if you work in the funeral oh, industry, no. if you are a doctor, how many of your patients have ever come back to life? None. 0 Zero. I'm going to suggest to you that all the overwhelming evidence is that when people die, they stay dead, except for one stubborn event that happened in history. Jesus yeah. came back to life. By the okay. way, I would probably be an old earther if it weren't for the fact that Jesus came back to life. And I I look at that and I go, you mean a resurrection is possible? Not only possible, it's historical and literal. So why would I believe the Bible in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two and Exodus chapter 20, verses nine through 11, if, all of the evidence seems to indicate normal days were used. Yeah. So I, I'm I, I if, it. if I if I if I'm going to be persuaded for a non literal interpretation, I am going to need more than what is being offered by our evolutionary friends. Yeah well that's
4: that's good. I, I appreciate it. I've got to run if you want to keep talking on. no,
1: that, no, no, no I, yeah, if you need to go, you can go. Hey, thank you for your call.
4: you bet thanks much
1: three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five that's the number again, um in context, all of the words that are used in Genesis chapter one, verse five to chapter two verse twenty two when it describes evening morning it seems to suggest that the author of genesis meant 24 hour period evening morning day 1 this was the standard interpretation of genesis chapter 1 verse 5 for most of christian history at the at the same time there were early church fathers like augustine who noted that the vague nature of the days of Genesis, well, that there might it might suggest a non-literal interpretation. But my friends at, at Creation Ministries International and uh, at and other places like us, uh, like if you go to CMI, which is Creation Ministries International, type in. Evidence for a Young Earth, they're going to give you several articles that I think you're going to find very, very interesting. So at creation.com, there's Young Earth Creation Evidence, and you can go to creation.com for Age of the Earth, and then my friends at AnswersInGenesis.org there's an article entitled 10 best evidences that confirm a young earth now is there more yes but are there some evidences that are better than others the answer is yes and so if the earth is very very young what would how would we know that